start today since uh, we're, we thought John was going to be gone and Larry's not here yet, but um, I appreciate this opportunity. So, Heavenly Father, give us ears to, to hear and um, an understanding of your word today as we hear it. Amen. So, this verse up here, I, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to pop, prosper you and not harm you. Plans to give you hope in the future. Hope in the future is often translated as welfare, peace, all things that we, we desire. And we often approach Jeremiah 29, 11 as a security blanket. Um, God has a plan for me, so clearly the suffering I'm going through will make me flourish and benefit in the end. Right? That's not what God is promising the Israelites here in this Bible verse. Um, and it's not what he's promising us either. The heart of the verse is not if we escape our lot, then, uh, then we would learn to thrive in the midst of it. No, that's actually what it is, sorry. Um, not that we would escape the lot, the situations that we're experiencing, but that we would learn to thrive through them. In the context of this verse, the Israelites are in exile, um, punishment from God as a result of their disobedience. The false, false prophet Hananiah, who's boldly proclaimed that God was going to free Israel from Babylon. Spoiler alert, God doesn't do this. Jeremiah calls out Hananiah's lie and then states the promise that we read in Jeremiah 29, 11. God does indeed have a good plan for the Israelites, and it's a plan that will give them a prospering future. Sounds great, right? The thing is, before he shares his promise, he gives them this directive. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city for which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. That's 29.7, Jeremiah. That's not what the Israelites wanted to hear. They wanted to be told they were going to go home. They wanted to be told that their suffering was going to end. In many of the situations we've, we heard about it in our prayers today, that's kind of what we hope for. They wanted to be told that their suffering was going to end, but instead God's plan was for them to stay right where they are and to help that land prosper. And then came the biggest blow of all. In verse 10, God says he would fulfill this after 70 years. So all of them knew none of them in their lifetime was going to go home. That must have been a crushing blow. Sometimes, no matter how hard we look, we won't see any possible growth, benefit, or love during a trial that we're going through. If we don't leap through it with faith, we may never see it. My calling to spend hours and hours on end with a bunch of high schoolers it was really confusing for me about a year ago. The first club last year, one of the boys who has an issue with an issue with anger wants to fight another boy. I don't even know why. He's always been respectful to me and to my leaders, but let's just say he hasn't developed those coping skills yet. I went home and I questioned my decision, sure that what I thought was a calling was actually a miscommunication of God's will. Well, now moving into my second year as area director. I have kids all over the island that teach me every day about anger, love, and forgiveness. In their difficulty handling these things, in their fear of the unknown, and in their longing to belong, I learn. 
Now Karin's leaving in two weeks to go off to college, and at the same time, I had the opposite direction, to be even more intentional about my connections in young life with my kids. I'm able to see God's hand in what turns out not to be his miscommunication, but in my misinterpretation of what he wanted. So now Karin's going to be gone, and I'm going to have 16 other kids that need me, so there's a reason for it. <laughs> I didn't see it last year, but Sometimes we have to stick to something long enough to learn from it, but not too long that we have the opportunities to learn from it. That's a delicate balance, and as humans with free will, we tend to only persevere when things are easy, comfortable, and obviously necessary. So my acronym, FAITH, which you see it in the bulletin, um, forsaking all, I trust him. Kelly said when she came in, that I love acronyms. Um, faith isn't only necessary in tough situations and when we, fail, uh, when we feel hopeless. It isn't only necessary when dealing with the death of a friend, the loss of a loved one, the illness of a family member, or the myriad of other challenges that our own church experiences today. It is necessary forsaking all in everything. What hard things are you going through? In the midst of your suffering, cling to this, Jeremiah 29, 11. But cling to it for the right reason, not in the false hope that God will take away your suffering, but in the true gospel confidence that he will give hope in the midst of it. That's what faith is all about. It sometimes means we have to have faith in the next tiny little baby step and decipher the entire meaning of the experience. That's hard for us to do because we want control of everything. I would venture to say that none of us believes faith is easy in this church. We live in a world that makes faith difficult. We have to work at it. Maybe in our actions we demonstrate that we have faith, but our hearts still question it once in a while. Anybody not have that experience? Okay. I'm not totally crazy. Instead of having faith that my God had a purpose for all the changes in my life, my questions surround sometimes, like my ministry for young life was, am I just supposed to pretend that I'm still young and energetic and that's why I'm doing this? Because I don't like being old or getting older? Um, was, was, was that what I was thinking? But no, the answer has been made clear to me now. I have something to offer someone, if only one person in this group of young kids. One of them needs to hear what I have to say, to see me grow, or to observe me having faith in a difficult situation, so that they develop some patience, kindness, strength, love, peace, whatever, whatever it is they need at the time. The budget decision being made on our behalf right here, right here in Alaska, is not making me comfortable, as many of you know I wish. I don't know what's coming up after this semester. And I know that all of us are affected in some way. John <laughs> is affected. Um, in the church office this week, Larry, I, I mentioned, he sent a letter to John and Karen, and it didn't make it for some reason. It was returned. I don't know if he had the wrong address. Frankly, his writing. Don't tell me about that. <laughs> the letter I had Steve read you guys last week from him, it was hard <laughs> for me to translate. But... I'll have to get beyond that as the secretary. Um, 
But I told him, I can get the letter to them. He sent me a copy of it. Um, because they're still here on the island because of the strike for the ferry system. He's like, oh yeah, well, we're getting our raiders ready because no matter what, we're making it to Kodiak. So I appreciate that faith in him and his family. And that's faith if I ever saw it. Ten years ago when my family was called to Alaska from warm, dry, sunny Medford, Oregon, I said to Mike and Karen, because Mike was trying to convince me I would hate the weather here, we can deal with anything for three years, remember that? But God has seen to it that our family has thrived here. I used to see a slight incline, go, oh, there's a hill, and go a mile around it to get around it, to avoid it. Now I climb mountains. Talk about adjusting my altitude. The first mountain was a total accident, accident that happened because I was lost in an amazing audiobook. Headphones, I can't hear anything. It's foggy, cloudy, and I totally trust my dogs to take care of me. I got to the summit, turned around and looked down. The fogs and clouds parted, and I literally panicked. I didn't even know where I was to ask for help. Um, I got up there, and I'm sitting at the summit of, well, I'll tell you in a minute. Some of you know already, but I'm sitting at the summit, and I'm on Facebook. And the first post that comes up is Jennifer Parnell is airlifted off North Sister yesterday, right? And I'm like, oh, I hope I'm not on that mountain. <laughs> and then about two posts down an hour ago, Barra Minoshka Mountain Trail. Oh, I hope I'm not on that mountain. Well, all I know is I was going out to White Sands, nice soft beach, right? Water, flat, to take the dogs to run. And on the way out there, Boris, those of you who know Boris, whining like, I can't even tell you, like, he was going to die. So he clearly had to go to the bathroom or something. So I pull out at this overlook and I walk across the street and I follow him up this hill into my book and I'm going to let him run around for a little bit and I start following him up this trail. Well, my family knows I'm pretty stubborn. So about, I don't know, 10 minutes after I'm following this trail and totally into this book, some guy comes and taps me on the shoulder and passes me. So I'm like, well, I can do this. So I keep hiking and keep hiking, and all of a sudden I'm up at the summit and turned around, like I said, and looked down, and I had no idea how to get down. <laughs> so I called a friend who was out fishing in a boat, and she said, uh, well, just use your poles. I didn't bring poles. I didn't intend to climb a mountain. And then she's like, where are you? I'm like, I don't know. So she's out fishing. She can't help me. Karen, Mike, Kaylin, and Lisa were all at work, so I couldn't call on them. So I called my brother-in-law, Doug. Actually, I texted him and said, what are you doing? It's 11 o'clock on a Thursday morning. This is what my brother-in-law does. I'm watching Chitty Chitty Bang Bang. I'm like, dude, call me. I need to talk to you right now. So he calls me. Thank goodness I had cell service. He calls me, and I'm like, tell him the story. He's like, where are you? I'm like, I don't know. Will you just call me every 15 minutes, and if I don't answer, send somebody to find me. Well, this is before I learned about the beacon thing that I use now on Strava. Thanks, Steve. <laughs> um, so I explained I've gone past the hatchery and two curves, and he's like, oh, you're on North Sister. I'm like, no, no, somebody broke their iron. No, I can't be on North Sister. I wouldn't have, I didn't even really think it was a mountain of the challenge that's going on in Kodiak right now, but um, it ended up being North Sister. Uh, so I climbed North Sister thinking I would never be able to even climb up a little hill. And um, now, I see a hill, and I'm like, oh, I got mountain. Yesterday, on the way home from Chiniac, 
I was driving um, probably past Buskin River or so, and I saw I started seeing barometer, and I'm like, oh, it's only 9:30. I could probably get up to the top. Like I wanted to climb barometer so bad, and I will, I will. I haven't yet. But then um, Todd left his phone. I had to go back. Long story. Anyway, I have found probably six reasons over the last two weeks not to climb barometer. Uh, Thursday I went at the bottom of barometer. There were so many cars, there was nowhere to park. So I had to turn around and go to pillar. Well, I would have rather gone to barometer because at least there I would have known where I was. I got totally lost behind pillar for four hours and freaked my whole family out. Anyway, um, so talking about growth and walking in faith, um, when I was at Young Life Camp back in June, we had, I was going to put a picture up here, but I didn't really think about it this morning. Um, we had to do this ropes course. Well, we were supposed to try to do this ropes course. And we're literally on the top of telephone poles with a cable, like tightrope walking. And I made it through two sections and I panicked. And they're all like, it's, you know, have faith, you know, this is a, get through this, blah, blah. And I'm like, God did not tell me to tempt fate by climbing up some one stupid mountain or tightrope walking on the top of telephone poles. Um, so I turned around and went back. But I can tell you now, I'm leaving in two weeks. When she leaves to go to Fairbanks, I'm going back to Oregon, and I'm going to do that ropes course. Because all this mountain climbing has shown me that I can do something I never dreamed I could do. And that's what faith is about. There's lots of examples in the Bible about faith. I'm going to talk about a few of them. Genesis 32 talks about, um, in response to an act of faith and perseverance, Jacob has, is given a new name, Israel, um, because he's no, or he's no longer a deceiver. Instead, he's um, given a name that indicates he's jo uh, that he is uh, named after God's chosen nation. In Luke 23, Jesus is crucified between two thieves. He's mocked by the surrounding crowd, religious leaders, Roman soldiers, uh, but a repentant thief right in the middle of him uh, rebu rebuked his guilty cohort and defended the innocence of Christ. How difficult it can be to soften your heart when you've lived with it closed for so long to God. I've never experienced that, um, being closed off to God and, and the power that he has. Um, but I know a lot of people have, and I know a lot of kids in young life that I deal with have um, grown up with that. So it can be very difficult. We have to, as faith, faithful people, we have to understand that. Joshua 6 says, uh, centers on a hopeless battle. After uh, crossing the Jordan River, the Israelites would face their first of impossible, many impossible tests. But God has a battle plan that he gives to Joshua. A plan so crazy and nutty that it would re be rejected outright by any of us. Uh, God told Joshua to march around the city of Jericho for seven days. And eventually the walls collapsed. Luke 7, uh, while at a man's house, a woman known for her sinful lifestyle... Um, comes in with a jar of perfume and washes Jesus' feet. That's an act of faith that turned her life around. The whole book of Esther, for such a time as this. <laughs> These words ring true in Esther's heart 
and she found the courage to approach being uninvited. This is a treacherous decision for approaching this king without invitation was punishable by death, um, but yet she stood in front and pleaded her case, um, and as a result, a lot of things happened, um, a lot of things changed, a plot was exposed. In Samuel, 1 Samuel 17, we all know the story of David and Goliath. That was all about faith. He runs toward the giant, like this mountain over here, with a slingshot and lets a rock fly. The rest, they say, is history. And David's faith in God is unshakable. In Exodus 14, surrounded by terrified people, no way to cross the sea in front of them. An army um, is at his back. Moses, filled with faith, cries out, and tells them not to be afraid to stand firm and that they would see the deliverance today, and they did. Daniel 3, here's Nebuchadnezzar, sorry. Shadrach, Meshach, and, Abed, Meshach and Abednego refer, uh, refuse to bow, bow and worship at a golden statue of the, the king. Um, the king flies into a wild rage and demands they be thrown into the furnace, but yet they lived through that. That's faith. Genesis 22, the story of Abraham's faith, which came at a cost of unimaginable emotional pain and suffering, having to give up your only child to death. A loving father willing to do that, only to have a son returned alive and well. And finally, we all know the story of Mary and Joseph, right? Mary is pregnant with no reason to be pregnant. She had to take a leap, as, of, as did Joseph, a leap of faith, and just trust that God had a plan and that things would come out of it that were supposed to come out of it. So yes, of course, God knows the plan he has for us. And ultimately, he will give us a glorious future. But as we walk out our lives in this crazy world, let's remember the best growth comes through persevering through trials, knowing them. And when we learn perseverance, we can find surprising joy. Thank you.